weeping and hurt and pain and suffering are all things that we experience on a regular basis here on earth, but we trust, we're just saying that to you now as a church, that we trust that you hold us through this life until the day that we see Jesus face to face, when he will wipe away every tear and all pain and suffering and weeping will be no more. And God, we look forward to that day and we thank you that you hold us in Jesus' name. You hold us in the power of the cross and the victory we have in his blood shed on the cross over sin and over death. That the victory has been won and that we are held till the day of redemption. Until we know our salvation fully when we see Jesus face to face. So God, we thank you. For Jesus, we thank you that we are held for that day. And we can trust you. We can cry to you. We can, we can get angry with you. We can scream. We can kick. And God, but you are right there and, and you hold us. You hold us. You hold us and you're patient with us. So we love you, God. And all God's people said, amen. As you sit down, can anybody tell me who this is on this shirt? Who it is isn't even looking at it. You know who that is? Kyle? That's a picture of Kyle Clarkson right there, all right? And we had uh, a garage sale at our house. Heather was going through all her, all her stuff. And Kyle thought it a great idea to give Heather and a few other friends a picture of him on a shirt when they graduated from high school. Because I know what was going through his head. Somehow he thought, if they wear this day one at Emmaus, instantly popular, right? Kyle Clarkson. So I just wanted to show that. That's awesome. We were going to get rid of this, but I thought it was too good to get rid of. So I might just hang it up somewhere in the church. That's pretty awesome. Love that. Um, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 18. Genesis 18, your Bible. Some of you, there's Bibles in the seat in front of you, your iPad, your phone, whatever you got. Um, today we're going to talk about prayer. Prayer is a frustrating thing, right? You ever get frustrated with prayer? You ever get frustrated with yourself that your prayer life isn't really what it should be? I think probably for most of us, as we think about our Christian life, prayer would be ranked at the top of the things we struggle with the most. I know there's some people in the room who are just awesome prayer warriors. But for me, it's the part of my Christian life that goes out the window first when I don't have time, right? Prayer is a frustrating thing. Maybe sometimes your prayer isn't answered in the way that God wants you, that, that, that you want. God answers it in a different way. You ever feel like you've prayed for something for a really long time and God just isn't hearing you? He seems to be silent. Here's a good question. What do I, what do we desire the outcome of prayer in our lives to be? What do we desire the outcome of a good prayer life to be? And that's a great question because it reveals in our lives if we're thinking about prayer in the right way. What do we desire the outcome of a good prayer life to be? If you join me on the Periscope on, uh, on Friday that I did over lunch, I asked the question, Periscope, you gotta, you gotta like um, bear with me on Periscope because all these comments come up as I'm doing it and those are really distracting. Like, so I'm trying to stick to the point that I'm, and I'm reading these comments, some of them are good, some of them are bad, anybody can say whatever they want. And it's really distracting. So um, that's just something to bear with me on Periscope. But I asked the question, is God our butler or is prayer meant for something more? 
Is God my butler or is prayer meant for something else? Like, do we just pray when we want something for God, to get something from God? How often do you pray? What are the things in life that drives you to pray? Like, do I pray, God, give me this? God, give me, God, give me, God, give me this. Right? Are my prayers self-centered or are they God-centered? Are my prayers self-centered or are they others-centered? Right? Or do I pray on a, a daily basis, continually, like Scripture says, pray without ceasing. And why would I pray without ceasing? Do I pray without ceasing because in my heart of hearts, ultimately, I want what God wants. Do I pray for myself or do I pray because I want what God wants? I've prayed over the phone and in person with several different people over several different issues in life, right? And sometimes God answers those directly, sometimes God answers those indirectly. Sometimes God doesn't answer them in the timing that we want, sometimes he does. Prayer is a confusing thing. Sometimes, this is the beauty of the church, Sometimes God has to use other people that know you best to reveal to you when God is actually answering prayer. Because if you're like me, life kind of closes in on you, and the worry and the stress of life puts blinders on my eyes. It makes everything fuzzy, so I can't see when God is actually answering the prayers that I'm praying, right? So he brings other people into your life to say, hey, listen. You need to pause for a moment and praise God because, look, he's answering that prayer. So God uses us to reveal to others when he's answering prayers in their lives, and it's a beautiful thing. But here's the idea that I want to stress throughout the whole message this morning, okay? If you write it down normally, then write it down. If you don't, just lock this in the vault, okay? Prayer aligns our hearts with God's, not God's heart with ours. You get that? Prayer aligns our heart with God's, not God's heart with ours. Like, am I just praying when I need something from God, or is prayer a part of my daily life? Do I demand things from God, or do I ask things from God? And here's a big one. Do I ask God to come and be a part of what I am doing, or do I beg God that he make me a part of what he is doing. Because which one of those two lives in the end amounts to the abundant life that God talks about in scripture? That God just serves my beck and call? That everything in my life was to serve myself, even my prayers? Or that in the end of life when I stand before Jesus, I made my prayers about what his will was for me, right? That when I stand before Jesus, my life was shaped around what does God want to use me to accomplish in life. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's hard for my heart to handle. Because I know how I pray a lot of the times. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Matthew 21, and whatever you ask in prayer you will receive. John 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, and whatever you wish... It will be done for you. We like verses like that because God's at our beck and call, right? Whatever I ask in Jesus' name, he's going to do. 
But we cut those verses short in the context that, that they're in all the time to serve our own purposes. There's much more to prayer in Scripture than just ask in Jesus' name and it will be done for you, right? Get this, okay? See this glove right here? This is mine, and I didn't just buy it for this illustration, okay? I have another one at home, but this is like official UFC training glove, right? Don't mess with me, okay? But, anybody recently see the fight? Ronda Rousey, she gets in there and she knocks out her opponent 36 seconds or less, right? It was under a minute, I know that. I didn't watch the fight, but I heard about it, right? And all of these, I'm just going to wear this the rest of the time, see how undistracted you can be. But all, all of these restaurants and bars paid a lot of money to get this fight at their place so that people would come to their restaurants and watch it, right? 36 seconds, done. It would be like this, okay? I have a heavy bag in my basement, right? I'm serious. Like, I have the, the speed bag, the heavy bag, right? I go at it. I'm telling you, if you ever want a good place to stress relief so that you're not taking it out on your friends and your family, you can just come to my basement, all right? We won't go at it, but you can go at the bag, all right? So I don't want to be embarrassed by you, all right? But here's the thing. I got all the, all the stuff, the stuff to, to train. But it'd be like this. If I trained for six months by myself in my basement as hard as I possibly could against that bag, and then I wanted to set up a fight against Rhonda, right? And right before I go in to fight against her, I pray something like this. God, in the name of Jesus, please help me win this fight. I can guarantee you the shortest fight in UFC history, right? Because no matter what I pray in that moment, two seconds, I'm out, right? One shot to the face. I'm not that tough, right? One shot anywhere. I'm done. I ain't that tough, right? I'm out. That's probably a dumb illustration because we know that the story of David and Goliath is real, right? But I want you to see that, that, that is not, that's, that's a self-centered prayer, not in line with the will of God. I guarantee you it's probably not the will of God for me to fight against her. You see how ridiculous that kind of prayer is, right? Here's what I do believe about prayer. I believe we are supposed to pray bold prayers that are beyond us. I believe we're supposed to pray specific bold prayers that are beyond our ability to accomplish Right? Because when they're accomplished, we know the only one that could have done that was God himself. Right? Those are the kinds of prayers we're supposed to pray. But what do we do? We take scripture, we take the little parts of scripture that we like, and shape them and form them to be more about us than about God's glory. So my question is, is my prayer life more about getting what I want in life? Or is it about seeing the glory of God through my life on earth? Matthew 21, 22 says, Whatever you ask in prayer you will receive if you have faith. John 15, 7 if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything, and here's the key, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests 
that we have asked of him. If you have faith, if you abide in me and my words in you, if we ask anything according to his will. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't pray for yourself. But what does it look like to pray according to the will of God, right? Because I could pray this, God make me rich. I think this is just a great example for what prayer is meant for. God make me rich. Well, I don't see a promise of that anywhere in scripture that God's gonna make us rich. I see that he promises that I am rich spiritually, but he never promises that I'll be rich physically, right? But what is the will of God? What does he promise that he will provide for me what I need? That he will clothe me better than the flowers of the field so I don't need to worry. So what do I pray? Do I pray, God, make me rich? But if that's not his will, if that's not according to scripture, then why would I expect God to make me physically rich? Because he's never promised that. But as I pray, if I pray, God, man, I don't know how the next paycheck's going to come in. You promised to provide for me. You promised this, God. You promised this in scripture. You promised this. So God, I am crying out to you to provide for me, to provide for my family according to your will. Like that's a prayer according to God's will. And guess what? He's gonna answer it for you in his timing exactly when you need it, right? But a lot of times we buy into the American dream and it, it dictates, or the prosperity gospel, which is a bunch of garbage, that says, God make me rich, Right? Okay, what? You know how many people are going to be driven away by that line of thought? God make me rich. He didn't make me rich. So now what is God to me, right? What I have seen as I prayed, as I've prayed, I've never, I've never, just to admit to you, I've never seen on the spot me pray for somebody, and it got healed on the spot. Like, I've never prayed for somebody's cancer to go away, and the, and the cancer dissolves on the spot. I've never prayed for uh, back pain to go away, and it's done on the spot, right? I just, I just haven't experienced that yet. I but wait a minute. I have faith. I believe that Jesus can do that, right? That's frustrating to me. Like, I'm supposed to be able to pray for you to get well, and you don't? But I, wait, wait a minute. I believe that. I believe that Jesus can do that. Right? But here's what I have experienced. I've experienced praying with others for other people to come out of sickness, to come out of job loss, to come out of struggle in their life. And God's done it, but he's always done it in his timing. Right? I have witnessed praying for a sick person and on the spot in the moment God gives them perspective on their situation I have witnessed praying for someone and on the spot and in that moment in the struggle in their life through the pain God gives them peace beyond understanding right so we see that, that maybe prayer is more about 
God shaping me into what he wants me to be through the way that he answers my prayers. Maybe it's more about a relationship that I can have back and forth with God than it is about me just telling God what I want and him giving it to me, right? Because if that happened every single time, if we got, imagine what your life would be if you got every single time what you asked for at the time you asked for it. My life would not be what it is now. It would be messed up, right? Because I'm convinced that God's plans are better than my plans. And I always only pray about my plans. If God gives me my plans when I ask for them all the time, man, that just isn't best. And I don't want less than best, right? In the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching them how to pray. Okay? He's not saying I want you to pray these exact words every single time, but he's saying I want you to model your prayer life, model your prayers after this structure, okay? So how does he start it out? He says, our Father in heaven. He acknowledges God as Father. There's a relationship there, right? Hallowed or holy be your name. He gives credit where credit is due. So we acknowledge one, we acknowledge who God is to us. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is teaching them to make their prayers more about the glory of God than about their selfish desires. Give us today our daily bread. Paul himself in the, in, uh, in the, Old in the New Testament says, with food and clothing we will be content. How? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean I can beat Ronda Rousey in his fight. No. It means that I can be content with only what God has provided me with according to his will and his promise. I can be content with just that because I know that his promise to provide me what I need is only a means to an end for the gospel in this world, right? Him giving me money, him giving me riches, him giving me everything I ask is not according to his will because his will is that I love him and love people, Right? That's what his will is. Jesus himself, you know, it goes on to say, forgive us as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus is teaching himself how to, through their prayer life, to think like God thinks. Right? We're not going to pray the right way all the time. And the, the glorious thing about grace and the glorious thing about God, it, prayer is that I'm going to mess up my prayers all the time. My prayers are not going to be perfect. But the Holy Spirit, what does Scripture say? The Holy Spirit communicates with God on my behalf in groans that I don't even understand. It's like God language. When I can't say what's really in my heart, when I have no idea how to pray, I just cry. Or I just scream. Or I just laugh. Or whatever that is. But the Holy Spirit transfers. He, he um, takes what is in my heart and translates it to God the Father on our behalf in groans that we can't even understand. And I love that. Turn to Genesis 18. Hope You're probably already there. Genesis 18. We're going to start in verse 16 halfway through. Just to give you a little context, what happens right before this is the angel of the Lord along with two other angels come to Abraham. And, he, and they say, hey, a year from right now, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. Right? And... And that, that means in two to three months, she's going to be pregnant because a year from now, she's going to have a son. 
okay? And what does Sarah do? She chuckles. She laughs, a lot like Tim was talking about last week. And we don't believe that this was like a hallelujah laugh, like God just heard me. He's answering my prayer. No, it was more like a yeah, right kind of chuckle. Like I'm old, he's old, biologically that don't work out. It ain't going to happen. And then the Lord comes to Sarah and says, why would you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. But yeah, you did laugh. And then he says this, right before verse 16, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I love that because it just sets up. It's just a reminder to her again. Nothing's impossible for God. Nothing's impossible for God. Nothing's impossible for God. Let's read verse 16 and on. Then the men set out from there and they looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after them. To keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I'll know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abram drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abram answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let the Lord not be angry. I will speak Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak again for this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abram, and Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. So let's go through this and see what kind of things are, are, are coming out to us that prove that prayer is specifically to align our hearts with God's and not God's with us. The first thing I want you to see is that prayer is about a relationship, okay? It's this back and forth, all right? It's this back and forth, with us and God. It's a conversation. You can't possibly go a long period of time without speaking to your wife and still have a great relationship, right? 
You can't possibly go a long period of time without speaking to a good friend and still have the same level of a relationship, right? It's the same with God. There's this back and forth all the time. I will speak with God. There's this relationship. Verse 19, this is God. His deciding factor in in God including Abraham. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to him whatever he has promised. See, right, God is interested in using us in his plan. There's this relationship kind of thing. God doesn't need us. Do you know that? God does not need you. That's pretty humbling. But a God who does not need us, that could accomplish everything with a spoken word in this world, chooses not to do that. He chooses to use people so that he can enjoy relationship with you. So that he can enjoy relationship with me. So what do we do? Pray. Pray a lot. Like be in conversation with God all the time. And be honest with him. Be bold. Come to God and have a great relationship with him. Verse 23, Abraham understood this relationship aspect because what does it say? It says he drew near to the Lord. After the other two angels had left and gone towards Sodom, it's like Abram comes before the Lord. He said, wait, 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 wait. And he draws near to him. He said, we got to talk about this. Like, wait a minute, God. We got to talk about this. So he draws near and he understands that there is a relationship aspect to God. As we pray and as we agree or disagree with what God's doing in our lives, this is part of the process that God uses in prayer to shape us to think more like he thinks. Like we're allowed to agree, we're allowed to disagree, right? But Abram, in this situation, he uses what he knows to be true about God. He knows that God is a just God. He knows that God is a righteous God. He knows that it wouldn't make sense, from his standpoint, for God to destroy the wicked with the righteous. So he calls him on it. He said, Wait, like, God, far be it from you to do such a thing, because you are righteous, you are holy, you are just. Will you actually do that? And so he knew, he used what was true about God in his conversation with God to call God out on his promises and to remind God, not that God needs reminding, but to remind God, hey, this is what you've said. This is who I understand you to be. And then the way that God answers those prayers, hey, here's the thing. We're allowed to get angry with God. We're allowed to be upset with God. We're allowed to be confused. But God says yes God says no, God says maybe, God says not yet, but whatever he says, you can trust that whatever his answer is, it is to shape you into what he wants you to be. It is to shape your mind and your heart to think more like God, to see things from his perspective. So have hope in that, right? That this relationship is not just one way, But our goal in Christianity is to what? Become more like Jesus. That's sanctification. We've talked about that before. So number one is there's relationship and prayer. Number two, there is a fear of the Lord. And I'm not talking about like an earthly fear, right? We see God as our father, 
But some of us fear our earthly father like in a really negative way. That's not what I'm talking about. When, when I say fear of the Lord, I'm talking about a respect for who God is, right? Because when we come to God, we understand, I am crying out to God. I'm praying to him because he can do what I can't do. Because God is an almighty God. Like, isn't that an awesome thing? That this God who transcends us, this God who is above us, that spoke the universe into existence with a word, cares enough about a single person to allow that person to speak with him. That's amazing. Like, that should make us feel unbelievably special. Right? Because there's, I don't know, 110, 120 people in this room. Like, what makes you more special than the person next to you? Here's the thing. To God, every single one is just as equally as special. Right? The God of the universe will speak to me. In verse 27, Abraham says, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. And then in verse 31, he says, Behold, I'm speaking with the Lord. Like he says it again in the midst of every time he comes to him and he says, Lord, don't be angry with me. Don't be angry with me, but I'm going to speak to you again. And then in verse 31, he says, Behold, I'm speaking to the Lord again. It's almost like he's saying, I cannot believe I'm doing this. Like, what could God do to me? I am undertaking to speak to the God of the universe. I should be dead. Right? He's saying, I can't believe I'm doing this, but here we go. Here we go. God, are you going to do it for, or will you destroy it for the sake of 50, 40, 30, 10? Right? So number one, there's a relationship to prayer. Number two, there's a healthy respect for who God is. Number three, our prayers reveal our understanding of God's heart for us, right? We may not get it right every time, but as we pray, the way we pray is really revealing. And what it's revealing is, do I really understand God's heart for me? Am I praying according to God's will? It reveals my understanding of God's overall will for my life. It reveals an understanding of God's values in the world. Number four, God wants us to be persistent in prayer. Because Abraham, he just kept coming back to him. He kept pushing. Will you do it for this many? Will you do it for this many? Will you do it for this many? I want you to turn to Luke uh, chapter 11 real quick. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And this is right after Jesus teaches him how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. What I mentioned at the beginning. Then he says this. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, for the, Lord, for the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, which just means his persistence, his nagging, his persistence, 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 he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Anyone who seeks, finds. And to the, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you? 
if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You see, this story is not saying that God is frustrated with you, that God's a God who's, who's going to be like, leave me alone. I'm in, my, I'm in bed with my children. It's not that God is, is annoyed with you. It's saying, how much more if a human person will get up and give you what you want because of your persistence in prayer, how much more will a good, perfect, holy God give you what you ask for? But then how does it end? It says he'll give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks It's revealing our desires in prayer. What do I really desire in life? Do I desire God to be my errand boy? Or do I desire to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that as I live my life, I see God change people through his ministry through me, right? That's a prayer according to the will of God. That's that's a selfless prayer that's more for the glory of God than it is for my, my own sake, right? Prayer aligns our hearts with God's, not God's heart with ours. Through relationship, through respect for who God is, through a revealing of our understanding of God's values in the world, and through persistent, bold prayer as we come over and over and over to God with our requests. What does does the Bible say? Cast your cares upon Jesus. Like, come to him persistently, knowing that there's no possible way that you could do in and of yourself what you're asking of God. Right? And prayers prayed for the glory of God. In my life, God will answer them according to the promises he's made to us. We're going to take communion here in in, in, in a second as... The band gets ready to worship some more with us. But what is the difference between Abraham praying to God and us coming to God? I think this is awesome. Because in the Old Testament, God God chose specific people that he would speak to, that he would reveal himself to. And if anyone else undertook to spoke to God or to see God face to face, dead. Right? But get this. Love this part. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. How do we do that? How do we approach the throne boldly? Why are we allowed to do that? Because in the New Testament, if a regular person did that, dead. You're dead. You cannot approach a holy God as an unholy person and live, right? Luke 23, Luke 23. This is as Jesus is hanging on the cross in verse 44, Luke 23, 44. And it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed 
his last. This curtain that was torn in two was the curtain in the temple that separated the holy of holies, the very presence of Almighty God, from normal people. Right? The priest, once a year, would go in, make an atonement for the sins of the nation, and if he did it wrong, he was dead. Right? This is how serious the holiness of God is. This curtain, when Jesus died, was torn in two. Like, do we get the, the significance of that? The very presence of God on earth was unleashed and made available through salvation in Jesus Christ first to all people who come to Jesus. And now, we're about to sing this song, Boldly I Approach. Now, every single one of us, every moment of the day, like in this moment right now, the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, he is here. The very presence of God is here with us. And so when you pray, you're not just praying to a distant God. You're praying to a personal, loving Savior. Who is sitting right next to you. And sometimes he's sitting right next to you in the pit of mud. Just because he wants to be with you. And he wants to watch how you change through the way he answers your prayers. I mean, that's cool. The veil, the curtain was torn so that now we here today can be in the very presence of God and the very presence of God can go with you individually as you leave this place. And so we're gonna take this time to just to, to, to come boldly before the throne of grace, to lay our request, to lay our pain, to lay our suffering, to lay our joy, all that our life is before God and say, you are the one that can do anything with this. And Jesus gave us the bread and the juice, representation of his body and his blood to remember him by. And so let's just thank him for that. And then as we sing, you can come to the front or you can go to the back and we're gonna remember Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you that the veil was torn. Thank you that um, you were obedient to your father, that now the presence of a loving God is with us all the time to shape us, to mold us, to change us into the image of Jesus. So we remember you now through the bread and the juice that you died, that you paid the price for, for my very life. Jesus, we need you. We need you. And we come boldly to your throne of grace now as we are. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. so that we can come confidently to the throne of grace and bring not only our praises but the deepest, darkest parts of us that are shameful, that are painful, that are hurting um, to Jesus and to say, I trust that your grace is sufficient to take care of this. I trust that, God, you are powerful enough to enter in and take care of this part of my life. And here's the challenge for this week, is that as you pray, you start your prayers. Just start your prayers by begging God to get you to think a little more like he thinks, to shape you into the image of Jesus 
through how he answers your prayers. That as he says yes or no, that you would be able to see how he is working and that he would give you his perspective on the situation. Because God's perspective on whatever you're going through is best, is freeing. And that's true freedom. To give God all of your pain and then watch him give you peace through it. And I want to remind you that we, during our services, and I just want to say this, I want to say it more and more, is that we, that we do have a prayer room in the back that you can pray wherever you want. But if you want somebody to pray with you, there's people in a prayer room. You just go out here and take a left and there's a, there's a room in the corner. You can have privacy. You can have someone pray with you. Um, I just want, to, want you guys to, to use that, just, to, just a place to go and cry out to the Lord or have somebody else pray for you. But now we're, gonna, we're just going to close our service just singing and crying out to the Lord together. Um, so pray and ask God to, to shift your heart to think like he thinks.